In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. So step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlists. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at LLS.org slash Big Climb. Plus minus. Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus respected. Minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. So we're going to officially call this the season-ending Warriors Plus Minus episode now that the Warriors are done. But even though the 15-50 and 2019-20 Warriors are a wrap, we are not. I've got Anthony Slater with me, the best Warriors beat writer in the land. You like how I demeaned him a little bit. Uh, I got Ethan Strauss, uh, who is done pitching books and is with us. And of course, the boss man. Tim Kawakami. Slater, I'm just playing. You're the best beat writer in the land. I didn't want to, I don't mean to pigeonhole you like that. I was going to call him the best beat writer. Then I thought, do I really want to give Slater that satisfaction? And then I had to, I had to think of it. Slater, uh, season's done. How happy are you? Well, it's been done for a while, you know. All season you were thinking about, all right, we're going to get to April and then it'll be it'll feel like a summer where you can, you know, kind of sprinkle in some vacations here and there while watching the playoffs from more of a helicopter view that just didn't happen the way it just like abruptly ended in the middle of March and we still haven't seen the playoffs I don't know it's obviously quite strange but I'm glad to officially call it over so all this offseason stuff we're writing we can actually feel like we don't have to like qualify it they might play like an eight game random summer league in an Orlando bubble TK this means we all get time off now right uh, you had your all time off. Now we start working. What? You had your time. You've been that relaxing. was a time off. I mean, you talk about Ethan clearly. Yeah, you've Man, been more like purgatory. Now we have the real off season. This is what I told uh, Slater. Can say that. This is what I told. Like we're gonna have like this fake off season where we do off season stories that it really isn't in the off season. And then when the off season starts, we do the real off season stories. So like the draft, like free agency, like all these things that we're used to. Although it won't happen till what October. This is when we start doing some serious stuff with the Warriors. It was this weird time because the Warriors season was basically over, but not over. And we were thinking about the draft. Some one of somebody on this sh- this uh, channel has discussed the draft a lot. He was thinking season. about the draft in November. I didn't. I, <laughs> I didn't think it would like sustain for a full year in relevance. Or would have to, or would have to. Yeah. But yeah. we're gonna go, you know, we're gonna go into that because that's what that's what people want to know about is like, well, how is this off season gonna be directed? How is it gonna be spent? I mean, Slater got into that with Myers a little bit uh, yesterday, but that's still yet to be fully decided. And what's the shape of this off season going to be? Now that starts. It doesn't mean it's gonna be every day, but hey, this is a different kind of Warriors off. First one of these we've had in a long time, seven years. I don't know, non playoff Warriors off season. And let's uh, let's let's see how interesting it gets. Let's make it interesting. Uh, that's that's what I hope. We're on a look back pod today, though, right? A look back ah! on the season. Look back on this. Yeah, look, not look back on a playoff game like we've done in the past. No, I know. I know. I mean, let's go back. Let's go back to October thirty first. <laughs> October thirtieth seems like an important day. I, here, here's a memory I have. I have a memory of Slater and I driving back from that first game they played against the Clippers when they got demolished and we were laughing about how Vegas had the Warriors 
favored in that game against the visiting Los Angeles Clippers with their full complement. Remember how Steve Kerr was like, yeah, y'all need to get used to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny Ethan mentions that. Their next game was in Oklahoma City and at shoot-around in Oklahoma City. I told Steve that they were – it was like that was the line, and he laughed about it. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. Remember how much he was trying to pump the brakes as hard as possible early? Oh, yeah. Which, you know, I, I mean, I kind of wrote about it in my little, like, review pod and – if you want to get into it, but the Steph Curry hand injury, October 30th, as uh, I, I don't even think Marcus was meaning to allude to. How did you guys see that kind of just like change everything? Like, was that in retrospect to you guys a good thing to happen to them? Yeah, I want to jump in at the and just say something clearly happened during training camp. I felt that because they didn't go into training camp saying, I mean, there wasn't even kind of a glimmer that this is going to be a bad team. And obviously the Steph injury changes, but like somewhere in the camp, there was a definite turn in the coach's mind or whoever's mind that this was not going to be a good season. And that's before Steph got hurt. And I think that was what Kerr was tapping into after the Clippers game. He was kind of there before the Clippers game. Slayer, you were there every day. I mean, did you feel something change? And what do you think that might have been? I remember the first time Draymond talked, he like didn't talk for like five days at the start of camp, which was kind of strange. And then he did a press conference and he was you could tell he was so demoralized by what he'd seen and when you mostly talk to the guys it was just like just the complete drop in like basketball iq not that necessarily these young guys won't eventually you know get to where they need to as far as like nba <coughs> knowledge but just you could just tell the feeling in the organization of going from like the iguodalas the livingstons of the world to just these rookies that, that you know pool pass all these guys i particularly remember draymond being like uh it's gonna be like he was even he was like saying it's gonna be a bad season i remember steph saying that he called andre Godala after one of the practices and said that he missed him that was something that stuck in my mind from i believe it was training camp yep that yep. they knew they didn't have it and that's something that john hollinger's talked about where the guys who can play, basketball players, they know who can't play pretty instantly before the front office guys do. They just know immediately if a guy can't play. And I think what was happening is through inexperience or just lack of talent, a lot of the guys on the team were just guys who couldn't play. And that was obvious at the beginning. My interpretation, and I don't have not heard this from anybody other than maybe some hints about it in February, is that like they were going to redesign the offense a little bit for D'Angelo Russell. Like they were, like Steve was saying that. Like more pick and roll. We're going to do this. And then, then they just didn't do it. And I think there was some, you know, whether they talked about it or not, there's some general feeling amongst the people who who matter that Russell wasn't good enough for them to change everything. That it wasn't the guy that okay we we'll reshape what we do with Steph and with, when Clay comes back and with Draymond because Russell's so good. Somewhere in there, he wasn't that good. For what you know, whatever thing you can talk defensively, you can talk about not moving without the ball. They just felt like, in my interpretation of this, part of the reason they realized because he right he was going to be the reason they were going to be at least entertaining. Like, okay, Clay's out, going to get DeAndre Russell, and he's going to move. The ball's going to hop around. He's going to score, and at least they're going to be competitive. And that stopped too. <laughs> that line of thinking stopped in camp. And I don't want to just throw it all on a guy who's no longer on the team, but I think that had to be a big part of this, that they just saw what, you know, when Ethan says the players realize, they, they just realized this guy wasn't going to change the dynamic of the team, a bunch of young guys who didn't really know how to play, and a couple of veterans who weren't going to be enough to drag the team. He wasn't going to be one of the main guys to help them all. He just was going to be another guy. I, I, I felt that in the kind of the last stages of training camp going into the first part of the season, if we look at it kind of retroactively. Is there any criticism to be had for them essentially signing off so early? You know what I'm saying? Like, all right, this this isn't what you thought, and it certainly isn't the standard you're used to. But as Steve has said before, like, welcome to the normal NBA. And... Teams managed to not lose by 40 to Phoenix. You know, teams managed to actually figure it out. Like, I mean, D'Angelo Russell somehow made it to the playoffs with Brooklyn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, not that they were a good team, but they weren't the worst team in the league. Should there be any criticism that they saw, hey, we're not what we are, so let's just say whatever. I think tanking is good. 
I'm pro tanking. I think it was smart when they tanked and they got Harrison Barnes versus not getting anybody. So I don't really have an issue with it other than it's really boring to watch. I mean, this was a mind-numbingly boring season. I think we can all agree. Just awful to watch, horrific to watch. But I don't mind the candor. I don't mind the admission that they were beat when they were beat. I feel bad for Draymond, who had to soldier through it all. But to quote Don Draper, that's what the money's for, I suppose. I don't have an issue with it. I don't have an issue with it, and it might have worked out for them ultimately, where they get a high draft pick, and they unloaded uh, D'Angelo Russell, and will theoretically get another high draft pick the next season, and they at least have a shot at reclaiming what they were. If they just pushed through it, if they had overachieved like a Brooklyn Nets, I think they'd be in a far worse position, so why would we want to advocate for that? And it was followed by the Curry injury. I I mean, those two things happened within a week. The start of the season, the, the big clunker, and then they lose a couple more games, and then Curry gets And they hurt. had won yeah. in Oakland. What was no? It was in New Orleans where they had yeah. the, the win yeah. where it was like, okay, we're not as bad as we thought. <laughs> they started Jordan Poole in that game, and he hit like three first quarter threes in like his third game, and Steph was playing well. Draymond was like great, and yeah, it felt like, all right, here, here we go. All right, they, yeah. they, they've worked off some cobwebs. It was a quick call by Kerr and whoever else that they weren't going to be any good, but... If you know they could have worked it way its way back, if you know Steph stays healthy, they all play really well. What would they have attained by doing that? You know, well, that's... you know what would be interesting right now is they would have stabilized enough to where they at the least would have been in this little pack of teams that's about to play in yeah. Orlando, and they would. I don't know if they would have necessarily made the Wiggins trade if Steph doesn't get hurt. But let's say Steph doesn't get hurt, they still do the flip of Russell, and now they have Wiggins. Clay is now sitting. He'll be you know a year post ACL. They could maybe have been going into Orlando like as the dark horse team that everyone in the lead up is talking about. If Steph didn't, but get they hurt. would have gotten. They still would have gotten smacked. They don't have enough on the wings. They just don't have enough. They don't have enough. I mean, I think that's something that we learned from this season. And it's not just that Clay was missing or that Steph was missing for a while. They just don't have enough. And when people, I don't know how you guys feel about it, when people ask me, can they get back to the promised land, I keep saying the same thing, which is not with the current compliment, but they hit the right draft pick, they make the right trade, we'll see. We'll see. If they hit a card in the river, we'll see. They could get there. But right now, no, they're not winning that tournament. They just they just don't have enough. Not even with Clay back. Not even with Steph back. And you know, what are the chances of if, if Clay is back for that? I don't know that he would have been. But if he and he, he rehurts, you know, re-injures himself, yeah. that, you know, that would have been pretty bad. More more crying, Bob Myers. Nobody yeah. wants to see it. Yeah. So interesting. I think the Steph injury, it was the biggest thing that happened this season. That isn't long-term consequential. And I did think, you know, it, it probably was good for them. And maybe, not even probably. I think it was good for them. So they could take that break this season. They could, like, kind of just step back. Kerr didn't have to go crazy over every time, you know, Jordan Poole did the wrong thing or Pascal was in the wrong position. Just let him play. Let him play it out. And then we saw what happened to Pascal. And, you know, Slater wrote about this. Like, and he went great game one, game two. But, like, by game four, he was good. And then it, it, it sustained. It wasn't this kind of, you know... F- just fluke. And you could see him fit on an NBA roster. You could see him fit on a good NBA roster, and that's valuable. And Marquise Chris, better than Willie Cauley-Stein. You know, they figured some of these things out. Are they major things? Nah, you know, we'll see. But I think it was good for them. Just like, okay, let it go a little bit. And we just kind of saw Kerr go through this evolution pretty quickly of caring, caring, caring. This is horrible. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, let's see how this plays out. And they got some things out of it. And I think the spirit of the team was pretty good, you know, in a 15 and 50 season. I think they got through it feeling pretty good about themselves, which you wouldn't normally think after a team goes to five straight uh, finals and then goes 15 and 50. But yeah, I think the progression of it, while random and unpredictable, wasn't a terrible way for, for them for the season to go, assuming they make the right moves, as Ethan points out, going in next season. And they're feeling decent about themselves, which they clearly could have not done, uh, judging by what the record is. I have questions for you know different type of players. And you mentioned Pascal, so I, I think we can start there. It, I think in everyone's opinions, that was probably the most positive development of the season. They get a guy 41st overall and... You know, he, I mean, he looks like a piece. 
Um, Man, you need to cut out this Smilogy shade. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I could, I could direct a Smilogy question to, to Ethan if he wants it. I mean, <laughs> oh, what do we, what do I think about the, about the Smilogy? Uh, Will he be the, on the, the roster after his all his guaranteed money is up this season? I think so. I think he's got the political capital to do it. I also, I mean, I'm not saying that Smilogic is the future, but he's become this weird byword for bad or a terrible pick, and I don't necessarily agree with that. If he was trash in the G League like Jacob Evans, then I would say, yeah, this guy can't play, get him out of here. But he's actually really good in the G League. His numbers are really good. Now, He's young. We haven't seen that necessarily translate at the upper level, but he's not somebody I'm looking at as this guy stinks. He has no shot of ever being anything. I just don't see it that way. But an up-and-out season for him. Really great show showing out for Pascal. And then you've got this complicated situation going forward, which is that, and I do believe the evidence on this, Pascal is good when he's not flanked by, by Draymond. And so I'm not sure how they sort that out going forward, but even the positive signs in this season, as we've seen it, have some sort of complicating factor. The question I had for Pascal was, do you think you guys think it's more likely in, let's say, the next half decade? He's like the fourth or fifth best warrior in the next half decade, or like is he like a ninth or tenth? Like, do you know, on this sliding scale, because we saw it, we did see it with Jordan Bell and Patrick McCaw, where they had really encouraging rookie years in tougher situations than Pascal. They didn't get handed the ball, not that Bell ever would have. I don't think Pascal's going to fade out of the league, but are we overhyping him a little just because of the absolute pure opportunity and minutes he was handed this year? We see what he is, and the difference that I talked about a little bit last week is he can shoot and he wants to shoot <laughs> and that matters uh, when you're a young player uh, versus some guys who just won't shoot the ball and there's two guys that you mentioned just wouldn't shoot the ball and there's a confidence level that's important and you could throw you know Jacob Evans in there you could throw a bunch like just wouldn't shoot the ball and watching this team at least you know w- w- with Steph and Durant and all the guys we've seen these young players have to work with the First step is feeling confident out there when you're out, you know, you're on the floor with Hall of Famers. Like and, feeling like you belong. Yeah, like you should be out there, you know, and then you can do some things, whether you shoot the ball a lot or not. You just have to be able to. And Pascal can do that. So I think he can work with great players. He can and, and make himself into a good player himself because he has that. If you don't have that, you're not going to. Jacob Evans didn't have anything close to that not going to be in the league for, for I don't even know if he's in the league now. Yeah, he's going down but, with Todd Fuller in there, huh? He's yeah, exactly. A- I mean, just not, it's just a non-player, and Pascal will be a player. I have think that, you know, there's like a chance that he's part of the package they use with the picks to get the superstar. Like, he's going to be a value, whether it's with this team or with another team. I think he is, yeah, like a fifth or sixth man value. Obviously an incredible, you know, to, to get him where they got him. He's a starting level player in the NBA. Not a great starting level player, but a starting level player. I don't think that's going to top out. Rodney Rogers was a valuable player in this league. For, He'll probably for run those, so like, start of the second and fourth quarter yep. units. Yep. Like, you know, you can, you can, you, Yeah, you can initiate out of Eric Paschal, and then he can also play him with your starters for 10 minutes at a time. Uh, and we've all seen those. That's a valuable, valuable I'm curious player. to see him play with Clay because I think he'll, he'll probably be with Clay in that second unit a lot. And, you know, Clay's yep. spacing, he didn't really have that. And he definitely didn't have Stets either last year. I might be a little more pro Pascal. I mean, I, I have my concerns about the hitch in the shot. I've got my concerns about it. But if he's willing to take it and if he's willing to hit, I don't know, 30% to where you have to guard it. He's just a matchup problem. He's a matchup problem for bigs who are too slow or wings who are too scrawny. So I like his potential. I do. I just have big questions about whether or not it can mesh with Draymond. In a way, I like him better than the situation that he's in on this team. That's one of the reasons I kind of think he might be. It might be in a package for a trade. I just think the value might be for this team for this moment. 31-year-old, 32-year-old, 33-year-old Steph Curry. It might be to keep Draymond alongside him, and Pascal's value isn't playing with Draymond. It's playing with someone else on another team. We don't know with the whole payroll situation. We don't know how the playoffs are going to come about. But And I'm not saying Pascal's the centerpiece of any massive offer, but it would be, you know, when you start taking these teams are to, looking at what they yeah, want on the Warriors, exactly. he's going to be at the top of the list. With that salary... With that plug-and-play situation, you just look at what it took to get Anthony Davis. You look at what it took to to get you know th- these huge players that have moved. It's 
big pieces of top, but also some plug-in pieces along the way, and he's one of them. Okay, I kind of wanted to have a similar conversation about Marquise Chris. At this point, many people think, particularly if they don't draft a center, if, if they don't strike big and like with the mid-level or the trade exception on a center, if they just get a vet, let's say, to supplement, people think Chris will probably be the starter. He was very good and I'd say maybe the last, what, month, month and a half. I remember he had some big nights. But the question is, have we maybe overrated his value a little bit? I mean, we are talking about a guy who the Warriors cut in January. They released him. He was available for the other 29 teams on the minimum. Any of them could have just taken him into their roster if they wanted to, and none of them did. That's why he was allowed back to the Warriors. They actually remember signed him on a two-way for a little while. And then now suddenly I feel like the opinion has turned because he had a good final month. Like, yep, for sure, starting center of the future. Do we need to pump the brakes on that? I mean, we're not we're not speeding on it, right? Like, I'm high on his ability to do the three things that you need to do when you're playing with Steph, Draymond, and Clay. You know, finish at the rim, set a good screen, and rebound. And if that's really all you're asking the center position to do, I mean, it would be great if he could pass and he's shown some passing ability. So, you know, you start putting those pieces together and you, you have a functional center. Uh, we've, we've seen them start players who can't finish at the rim. <laughs> you know Zaza saying? was crushing dunks. What are you talking about? Zaza, Zaza was crushing. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you, we've seen what it takes to be good with those guys at the center position. What do you think they should do to the center? Like, if you were instructing them on the center spot this summer, would you say, you know what, with one of these three tools, you got to find somebody who you think can play good minutes? Or are you like, eh, no, nah, you maybe get a veteran, but. I'm down to draft a Kongwu. I mean, what about that? That's something that I'm. I look. These, these are all guesses. Over Killian Hayes? Has the big board changed? Has the, the big board has changed. <laughs> oh, my God. I, we need a story. We need a story. They might be my one and two, just in terms of productivity. In but, terms but, of... I mean, Ethan, yeah. you're the guy who always says wings, wings, wings. Wings, 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 wings. Get the center. Is Okongwu that much better than Marquise Chris? Or let me point out, Draymond's going to play a lot of center next season. I don't have a doubt in my mind that Draymond's going to play. If he can't shoot the three, he almost has to play the center. So is, is I'd say it depends that- on who they get to play the Kevin Durant role. And obviously it won't be Kevin Durant, but you need a third <laughs> scorer. You need a, a guy in the who can make there. a play. There's a guy making $31 million. Do we uh, forget that Andrew Wiggins has, is on the roster? Yeah, he's kind of no. has to be that. <laughs> <laughs> Is Okongwu that much better than Marquise, Chris, and Draymond that you skip over drafting a wing who can fit into that role, Ethan Strauss? I don't know if anybody can possibly know that, but it's rare that a guy is this productive as a freshman in college. And Hollinger said it also, which is he's against drafting centers, but at a certain point you need to do BPA, and this guy was a monster in his freshman year and seems like he has the capacity to But can you play him with Draymond at the same time? Possibly. He seems to have a functional shot. He's got a nice little shot. I think he could do it. And also, yes, okay, we talk center, 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 but we're not talking specifically about what kind of center and what they do. If you're a center who can switch one through five, and I'm not saying the Congo can do it, but some people if think he's he Bam out of bio. Basically, you don't want to pass exactly. Up Bam out of bio. Yeah. You don't want to pass a Bam, and there are a lot of similarities between those two guys. That's the comp that's most often made. If he's Bam, then hell yes, you want to get him. Now I don't know if they regard him as that, but if you know that he's that guy, then yeah, you know that's that's a pretty good comp. And in my just gather up value uh, mindset, he, yeah, I will argue this. Yeah, he might be the value. So you get him, he's good. Even if he doesn't quite fit what you're doing, he's another thing you might it's be able piece. to trade yeah, absolutely. for that superstar if he's good. And he might be good. And and, and, and that largely depends too. Like even if you're looking at him as BPA or the best fit for your roster, I mean the real question is how do other teams in the league see him? Because that's where the value comes from. If he's sitting at three and and teams are clamoring for him, like I mean sometimes the best value is in the trade. It's an interesting question between him and Wiseman because Wiseman has the body that teams want at center. But he's a little bit of a mystery box just because, you know, he had one game against a real team. 
against Oregon. It's interesting. Like I've talked to people on teams where they go, I really like a Kongwu, but I would really like the ability to switch him between the four and the five. I don't want to rely on him as a five versus Wiseman where that's a legit. This is such a, a basketball five. thing where you're going to go with the picture of the guy instead of the actual film, right? Like this is such a draft thing. Well, the say. problem with Wiseman is you can't say he had bad film. He just doesn't have, have film, it. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's well, like well, Ethan doesn't be. like his AAU numbers. So. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. and, I don't. And I, I understand that. I understand that. And it's, 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 it would be scary to me as it, as it, like, is he just going to be a guy who wanders around the floor and not purposefully? That would be a problem. I would need, you know, you would want to see him. You would want to have him in a workout, and maybe that's just not going to happen. And they think that, it might. That, yeah, it might happen, the way. which would, would, would be huge. I don't think you can draft him without, and I don't think you can draft the Congo without get, seeing him how big he actually is. Are you I saying don't you don't that, trust USC's roster? Uh, yeah, trust We've got a weird draft right now where we just don't know the literal heights of any yep. of these dudes. Yep. It's and just wingspan guesswork. and all these things are important, but. God, I don't know that centers are, I mean, you really got to be a good center to make a difference these days in this NBA. And if you just draft another guy, how much better is that guy going to be than what Marquise Gris can get you? And, you know, and whoever, like Omar Spellman can be had for anything these days. Like there's guys that you just, you can just pick up because they're not going to be signed. I feel like Bam has made a Congru a lot of money. I don't yeah. know how much money. Draymond made just... a lot of guys with a lot of money, right? Yes. After he yep. hit <clears throat> Yes. Just by being an archetype who's successful and new, you're going to help somebody else down the line. And again, there are some differences between him and Bam, but that comparison is being made explicitly. Mike Schmitz is sitting down with a Kongwu and juxtaposing the Bam film versus his film. So it's helping to sell teams on him potentially versus a Kongwu might be a guy, despite the great production, where he would go, I don't know, out of the lottery in another draft if Bam hadn't done what he did. All right, I want to shift it um, quickly. Jordan Poole was the least inefficient player in basketball this season, literally, you know, the worst shooting percentage. But it was really, really bad the first few months. And then remember you had, like, the Jacob Evans, you know, they cast him off. They traded Russell, and they handed him the backup point guard spot. And if anyone was still paying attention in the last month, you know, I, I I know the season was over by that point, but he was actually, you know, mildly encouraging in that role as more of kind of like a ball handler. He shot it a little bit better. Uh, where are you guys at on him? Are you like, you know, I have you given up or are you kind of more intrigued about what he could become? Are we talking wow. about giving up on the legendary Jordan Poole? Is that an option? <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? <laughs> Jordan Poole has the heart of a champion. Wow. I'm impressed he never lost confidence, though. I mean, yep. we've killed him on this pod. You know, <laughs> you know, there was a point where we were talking about if he should even be in the league, and he fought back. And I think that says something. And I don't know if he will ever be a star, but I could see him being in that, you know, Sean Livingston type value where it's like, man, give him, give him some time. He'll learn how to play. He'll he'll be able to do a bunch of things for you. And maybe it's at 16 to 22 minutes a game. But for him to come back like he did, it says a lot about him. And I, I think that'll be useful. Plus, he does have some skill. I think he's much better on the ball than off. I mean... He can pass. A, he can really pass. Yeah, he's much better on the ball than off. And so maybe that puts him in that kind of third point guard, backup point guard role. If somehow he's got to be able to, he's just got to be able to shoot better. I mean, that, that really is going to determine his fate. But when when you can stand next to Draymond in a locker room and have your heart checked and pass like that, that says something. And when they get to the playoffs and they're in these wars and they're fighting, it's going to come down to stuff like that. Like he was written for dead and somehow managed to survive that and, and look pretty good at that and never seemed to waver. And I don't know how you measure that, but I know you sure can't overlook it. He's better than Nemanja Nedovic. He's better than Jacob Evans. Like we, There's some guys that they've had around that he's clearly surpassed. And now that's not a high bar, but you, know, you don't, again, I might be wrong, but I certainly haven't had a coach kind of roll his eyes. Like they, I mean, with Nedovic, it was like, goodbye like i mean that that one after not even after a season they didn't want no more part of the and 
you know, Jacob Evans was like, a, you know, kind of a shrug. And pulls more than he's he's a bigger body. He's yeah, he's got that confidence. You, you wondered what the hell, why he had that confidence when he was shooting like 16% for his stretches. But I give him full credit for finding his way back, for not you know, continuing to shoot the ball when it looked terrible, for, you know, fighting his way through that into a role. Now, I think defensively, he's got a long, long way to go. And, you know, at his size, he could be pretty good. Just getting in the way of passing lanes, just getting in people's way at six, five, six, six, whatever he is. But I mean, that was um, literally Nick Young's whole job, right? Exactly. <laughs> just, yeah, just kind of stand in people's way and then shoot the ball with confidence. So he can have a role. I mean, he can, Is he's not a six man, but at this point, he's like a ninth man. But it's more than I would, on a good team, it's more than I would have thought. And if he can really function as a working backup point guard, I still question that a little bit in a competitive way, you know, in a playoff way. But if he can, he's still young. I mean, was he 20, 21? He still can grow. You can yeah, tell he's, he's going to grow into his, you know, where Pascal yeah. arrived, like you are a finished product, yep. you know, body-wise. Pool, you can tell. It, I, they would just be having him hammer protein shakes post-game all the time and stuff. So. Yep. That's true. And then the other thing I think with him, I remember like there was a time in Minnesota where they had like just flown in. I think it was like a back to back or something where team did not have practice and Poole was like demanding the coaches come and like, you know, so he could get up some shots. Like he is a, you talk to the coaches behind the scenes for a rookie, they're like, they love his work. He was really trying to fix his shot, even though he kept missing it. And like that matters to see a rookie that like really cares about the craft, that does matter. Yeah, he's got a future. Undetermined whether it's going to be a very valuable future. I wouldn't put them in the like pieces category when they're talking about trading for a guy in Milwaukee, but there's a future in the NBA for him. We'll, we'll see how long it is, but he's not going to be out of the league in a couple of years. He'll he'll be in the league for two, three, four, more, or maybe much longer than that. I don't know if he's got a Livingston value, but of course Livingston at age 20 was, you know, coming back from a massive injury. So, you know, you don't know how careers will go. You don't know how people. I mean, yeah, literally, Livingston was a lottery talent, right? Like, yes, no we, question. We had no that. Question. Yeah. There's a lot of coaches are going to like that size because you, you can plug that size in. You talk about wing, you know, two pure two guard size. He's got it, and maybe can play the one at that size, which is very valuable in this league. Who has the better, the brighter future with the Warriors, Pool or Kai Bowman? Pool, pool, pool. Yeah. More investment. Bowman size is always going to, you know, be a problematic for him. I think Michael Mulder has got a bigger value to the Warriors than Kai Bowman. You know, other than I respect Bowman's game, I respect his tenacity. The guy can jump, my God, some of the best dunks and blocks of the season. But Mulder's got a specific skill. He can shoot the ball and seems to have very little, you know, no no moments of, of lacking confidence. It's Mulder, amazing how Mulder gets his shot off with that wingspan uh, of his. His arms yep. are forever, and he yep. still has an efficient release. Quick trigger. You know what they love yep. about Mulder? Grew up in the Miami Heat system. And that mm-hmm. is like, you know, look what the Heat have done with a lot of these young prospects, including they've turned Duncan Robinson into, you know, yep. basically an NBA starter. And when they got Mulder, they were like, not only is he committed to defense, he's super professional, but the way he shoots, off, you know, off-ball movement into like a catch-and-shoot off a screen type stuff, they're like, that is a drilled skill in Miami. And that's what they like about him. And he's on the same contract that Bowman and Juan Toscano Anderson are on, which is zero guarantees, but they all three will be in camp next year. And honestly, I don't think there's going to be three roster spots available for the three. I don't even think there'll be two. It might be three for one, essentially. And I'm probably with you guys that I would favor Mulder in, in you know a situation like that. I would favor Mulder for getting some time on this team. I, I, I mean, even with Steph and Clay back, I, I think he's going to get some time. I mean, he can make, he can put up four shots from distance and make two of them in, you know, in a random game. That's important stuff. You know, that, that just, that's a rotation spot there. Eight minutes maybe, but that's a rotation spot. Those shots can, mean so much. Yes, you yes. Know, they mean like, so much. Like we, we think much. about Nick Young. Oh, my God, those huge shots he made in game seven. He made one. He made one, but that's all that mattered. It, I mean, it it really mattered. And if, if Mulder can be any approximation of that, that's huge. Ian Clark, how many shots did he really make for this team? Not that many. The ones that he made were mostly humongous, and I think Mulder is in that kind of category. We've talked around it a little bit, but Draymond, uh, you know, I know Ethan's mentioned it a couple times. Are you in the camp of throw this season away? It didn't matter. Go back and look at the West Finals last year against Portland. He was the best player in, in the West Finals, which was at this point almost exactly a year ago. Or 
he does seem like he's aging. I thought this year, I remember talking to him early in the year, it sounded like he was really going to you know, try to work on the three-point shot and get it back. That never came. He's in the 20% again. Where's your concern level? You never throw a season away, and especially as a guy gets past 30, especially as we know that you know, he plays a style and he has a body type that might get worn down faster. He certainly has had some injuries, but I do look at that the Portland series not that long ago. I look at certain games, again, that Houston game on Christmas, certain moments where he turned it on. I don't think he can turn it on as often as he did in the past. I don't know that he has the athletic. I, I saw like I was watching some replay from just a couple years ago, and he's hitting like leaning three pointers, like you know, adjust the body turn, and the three pointer didn't look like Steph, but it looked really good. And we have not seen those sort of things from him. That stuff might be gone. The explosiveness, little you know, athletic dynamic things that he used to do. But I still think he can be really valuable. Pushing the ball, rebounding the ball, playing the defense, you know, running the defense. I, I don't think that stuff is gone. I just think it's less. The percentages are less. But when he can get into a playoffs and play, you know, we talk about the 16-game player. I think that's the definition of it. You know, the way kind of Sean and Andre, you know, like, oh, wait a minute. They look terrible for this period amount of time. This is in huge moments of the season but then they get to playoffs and you want them on the floor and I think Draymond's got two or three years left of that I don't know it's sort of a little depressing at this point I hope he gets it back I hope the shot smooths out for him and that he is healthier next season Um, it is nice to watch him when he is at the peak of his powers and he probably wasn't so motivated last season but there's some real concern there, internally, externally, other teams watching. About... I mean, it was concern before, right? People were saying Draymond was done before the West Finals last year. I would but... say the 10 months ahead of him, the nine months. He's about to go nine NBA months without a game, which he has not done in a very long time. I do think the way he attacks Is that good or bad? Summer, yes, exactly. I think the way he attacks this summer matters. Is he... Which camp is he in? Is he of the mindset, man, I'm a French Hall of Famer already. I've got my titles. I've got my four-year, $100 million contract. He's about to get married. He's in a very good place in life. Is he like, you know, I've done it. Uh, I'm going to enjoy my summer. Or is he like, I'm reading what everyone is saying. People think I might be done. Like, he's got a long runway to get himself in really good mental and physical shape uh, heading into the next season. And Uh, If he does that, I could see him having a little bit of like a, you know, two, three year rejuvenation, but he has to do it. My take is let's see Draymond when the games matter most, when it really counts. If he doesn't perform, then we can have, I'm willing to have that conversation. But until then, like Draymond's entire value is winning. (laughs) Like it's, it's, that's what make it's what's always made him great. It was never about doing countable stats on a team that's not going to win. So I feel like we can't accurately weigh Draymond unless the stakes are on the line and he doesn't show up. And then if he doesn't have it, then it's like, all right, he might be done. But to, to make that conclusion on a 15 to 50 season, I think he's already shown that to be a bad way to go because before it was like Draymond's similarly with Andre Iguodala, right? It's like, Oh, he's done. He's washed. He'll never live up to the contract. These dudes are built differently and there has to be some accounting for that. So I'm waiting to see Draymond not show up in the playoffs. And then that's when I'll give some credence to he's losing the step. And I'll, I'll we'll point my standard, you know, people jump on this stuff so much faster for defensive minded players you know, yes. It's so much easier to say, well, he's not the same as good because I don't really watch defense and the shot doesn't look good. And yet, time and again, I'll just say for Iguodala, how many times were, eh, you know, I'm not sure what he was doing out there, plus 11. Warriors won by six. Uh, you know what? He kind of, I'm not sure. He didn't make a shot and he, he passed up shots. And Andre Iguodala, plus 16. Warriors won by 12. And it's just so easy to say, well, I didn't see him do anything. So when I, if I don't see him do anything, he must not be any good anymore. And it's just not the formula for defensive-minded players. Now, Draymond's defense was not as good this season. There's no question about that. He also didn't have Andre next to him or Durant next to him or whoever. But I just think it's just such an easy thing for people who don't watch the game that carefully or don't care about defense that much. You know, it's just never going to be said about offensive minor players where like, oh, I don't, their offense is still good, but their defense is falling off. 
defense is the other way. They, the exaggeration is on the fact that shot's not going down, so their defense must not be as valuable. And it's, it's a wrong approach, and I will never take it myself. Three more topics I wanted to hit. Let's do the organization, front office, I should say. And if we go back all the way to last July, almost a year ago now, where they make the huge pivot with the D'Angelo Russell choice, trade off Iguodala, hard cap themselves, go super young, into what they pivoted towards, which was, you know, the Wiggins move on deadline day. But not only that, I thought probably the smartest thing they did was duck under the tax. Uh, if apparently, you know, if that was ownership's, you know, I guess edict. But, you know, particularly as we look in, into the future of their financial situation, how do you think they did? Uh, from a year ago to now, forget about the 15 and 50 season, just what they're set up towards. Do you think they did a good job? No. Silence. Silence. You know, it depends on Andrew Wiggins and that draft pick. And we don't know that answer. It's a huge bet on Andrew Wiggins. It was a huge bet on D'Angelo Russell. And they could have kind of passed on it and, and not taking that money back but they decided that that was the value i understood it then you didn't want to lose durant for nothing that's the only way you're going to get a value you get a 23 year old point guard it, it got him something it got him andrew wiggins we'll have to see you know my i tell you my opinion of wiggins kind of changed a little bit when i i had ron adams on my podcast a couple weeks ago and he just went out of his way to praise him now we all know ron sometimes has reasons to do this that aren't like you know like he wants to puff him i want to wants to encourage him i understand that, that seems but, like their yeah. whole strategy with wiggins right remember how much yeah. steve kerr was like this guy's unbuilt you know every it's, day exactly. in his press it, got his and and again we maybe it's it's a little calculated but i don't know ron ron is he's pretty straight shooter on, on things like this specific players and if wiggins is good if wiggins is close to what they're saying he can be then I'll grade that on a curve. Well, you know, listen, they lost Durant. There wasn't. They weren't going to keep him. So what do you what do you do from that? And and if they get a good player in Wiggins, if and that draft pick, that's a way to turn you know turn a bad moment into something positive. And we should say Ron isn't exactly Mister Compliment. He doesn't grade on a generous curve. I've heard him talk about other players. I think that that is a positive sign. That is a positive sign. Now. If you're betting on what Wiggins is going to be, you're going to have to side with track record because that's just the case with the vast majority of players. But there is that chance. There is that chance that when flanked by Steph, when flanked by Clay in a better organization, you're going to see more efficient scoring and you're going to see better decisions on defense. There's a chance. I'm not banking on it. I'm not saying it will happen. you got to trust track record in most instances. But that is a way that this team can potentially get back to where they want to go. I think overall, considering what the season was, the low stress of it, Steve did a really good job, obviously, of keeping the morale up. And it was like about as happy as you'll ever see a 15 and 50 team. There's no question about that. There's nobody's, uh, I think, thinking that Kerr might not be like their coach into the future. But they had, you know, the worst offensive rating in basketball, 104.4. I know they didn't have the talent to be great, but. They did have D'Angelo. They did have Draymond. Like they shouldn't have been fifteen and fifty. I don't think they should have been that bad. What did you guys think about his just pure beyond the morale of the team? Just pure on the court. I think the mitigating factor. It's hard to be that great in a season where Damian Lee might be the team's MVP. I mean, plausibly looking Pascal, back on the season, Pascal. maybe Pascal, but maybe Damian Lee. Damian Lee has an argument for MVP of the season. <laughs> I mean, is but, that like a compliment to Damian Lee or, or a shot? Well, it's 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 both. If Damian a Lee's your Damian best Lee. player, By my the way, lord! I do want to run my victory lap. I was like the only Damian Lee believer. That is so not true. That is so not true. I was more out the limb. That is so not true. I was more out the limb. I was more out the limb, Marcus. Ethan martyred him. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I was, you know. Let me steer this back. Should Kerr have been more adaptive to Russell and and gone more? away from what he likes in an offense to win more games, potentially. But I don't care about any of that. All I care about is, did the young players get better? That's all I care about. If I'm trying to criticize Steve, I would look at it as, well, some of these young guys should have gotten better with their opportunities and showed out more than they did. I because that the was a problem in the past, right? Like y Yes, that was a problem in the past. Because ultimately, 
it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. They weren't going to be good enough to make the playoffs. They just didn't have the roster for it. So I think if we're judging Steve, it should be on the basis of player development. And that's an open conversation as far as do we think they did well on that? Do we think they didn't do well on that? You know, Pascal looked great at the beginning. Then he had his lulls. Then he came back a little bit. If we think that they impressed us, they're drafted players, they're young guys, then I think we say good season. If we think that they underwhelmed, then I think we say bad season. I think it was about a C. I think it was somewhere in between. And I'll just add, I think, and I'm, you know, I'll defend Kerr here. I, I think his way to go out on a limb, too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> me, me ripping Steve Kerr, that's I do that all the time. Is if he backed Russell all the way, if he was gonna, we're gonna change what we do for. D'Angelo Russell, I don't think Steph Curry and especially Draymond Green would have been there with him. And so much of this is built on the spirit of the locker room. And I'm not saying that D'Angelo was bad in the locker room. I'm just saying this, that style to, to bend everything towards him was going to work, especially not on a team that's played the way they've played. That's, you know, with the, with the, the spirit of the way they've played, sharing the ball, what, all those things. Make sure you're accountable on defense. That wasn't going to work, and and maybe Kerr was more public about it than we're used coaches used to coaches doing it, or maybe it just was that bad. Again, not that Russell was a bad guy. No one's saying that. It's just that it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work that way. Even if Steph had been healthy, it wasn't going to work that way. We saw it in the games that he was healthy, and I just think that I, I'm I'm okay with that. And, he, and he's partially signaling to, to Draymond on Steph and Clay, who was kind of around and kind of wasn't around. Uh, this we're going to do this the way you guys have done it and that that's the way this has to work and i don't mind that signaling a little rough a little bumpy maybe but they get through 15 and 50 and they're all still on board you know there there wasn't an issue and there's, there wasn't even an issue publicly when russell was around and i think there's some success in that and then we'll see what happens next season but i don't think they should have changed everything just just from the russell that i watched i don't think they should have changed everything for him i i do not think that should have happened and and kerr thought about it and then didn't do it. I don't think his coaching staff wanted him to do it. Uh, I, I'm okay with that. And I think they came out of it just fine, given that they the, the, the decision they made to get Russell in the first place, which I did question <laughs> from the beginning uh, as someone saying that I didn't think that was going to fit. I do think you can criticize Steve about it, but it would probably just be for the sake of criticizing Steve about it. Because in the end, he has three championships and five straight finals. It's like, what are we doing, right? If you can't, if you can't trust what he's saying, then who, like, who can you trust, right? And if he has his philosophy and it's been proven to work, how could you argue against that? I will say, in a vacuum, he made the right choice, but I actually think part of the issue or part of the criticism was that it was symbolic of his typical refusal to change and there have been a couple players well one in particular who voiced those concerns about <laughs> the offense right so uh it was just another situation of steve uh valuing the philosophy and the scheme over a player in a league that's kind of driven by a player's ability to go and create now i agree that you don't do it for d'angelo russell but it wasn't in a vacuum, right? It wasn't like, hey, this is the only time you've ever seen that, right? So I just, I do feel though that Steve has earned the right to stick to his philosophy, right? I just think like it's literally worked five straight times. So it, it, this is the first time it didn't work and it wasn't because of his philosophy. I mean, it, his thing is for the long haul. It's proven over again to be valuable and what he emphasizes tends to work out for a team that's playing into June. Like, that matters. But his own players have said they would like, you know, a little bit of variation here and there or a little bit of less share the ball, move the ball. We've heard this constantly throughout the tenure. So that's where, if there's any criticism, it would be that. But you just got to see to the coach who wins, period. Like, that's the way and, it and is. You know what? You make a great point about that and maybe one another reason why there's so – like make sure that they're excited about Wiggins. Make sure they're on board with Wiggins because to go through this twice in a row would be noticeable. Or even three times. You want to say Durant, like you know, where the new guy comes in, very talented, and they won't change, and Steve Kerr won't change, and maybe that's part of it. You know, maybe it's 
you know, semi-conscious, maybe it's out on the front, like, let's make sure this doesn't happen with Wiggins, and let's make sure, and he's a good guy, and I, I don't think he comes in, you know, he, he he doesn't mind not having the ball in his hands a lot, you know, like, that's kind of his issue sometimes, like, he's not aggressive enough, but I think there is some sensibility in there, like, let's not make sure, let's make sure it's not two straight guys that they they get in these acquisitions where it, it doesn't fit even though they're very talented and maybe that's a little part of this pushing out Wiggins as such an exemplary player when we all didn't you know it was 12 games we what do, what do we really see in 12 games I would say before we move on I will say what I would have liked to see and maybe D'Angelo wasn't the guy for this and you know like after hearing the locker room talk about it after he left like this was a no-brainer right like when the players start saying what they were saying afterwards it's like all right all right, well, this was clearly a mess, but it would have been nice to see another offensive style, <laughs> you know, like just not for this team, but for the future, right? It's like, where are those one, two pick and rolls that Clay and Steph used to do? What What, what is going to be the the counter when teams go boxing one? Like that that's probably what I would have wanted to see. But again, like Steve is a championship coach and I'm, I'm willing to say when he gets to that bridge, he'll be able to figure it out. Last topic, the sparkling never to be forgotten debut of the chase center eight and 26 at home this year. Remember when they brought the media in, I think it was what last probably September. They brought us all in for their kind of like unveiling and you guys were pretty critical of it, particularly I remember Ethan what did you think? Now, you know, you experienced it a year. Obviously, you know, most of the games were very forgettable. Um, but what did you think of the building and the setup they have going down there? It's fine. <laughs> Ethan's bringing it. Wow. No, wow. That, that, that's this, a ringy endorsement. It's fine. You know, this is fine. It's like it's not bad. It's uh, there's I, I like Tacolicious. Uh, that's, that place is cool. You would no. like the bunker suites. You're a bunker suite guy. I'm a bunker suite kind of guy. Yeah, this guy went. This guy watched the game from the bunker suites. Can, <laughs> give us a little more detail. Look, I, I and I like the bunker suites. You know, if anybody wants to host me in the bunker suites, I'm not going to turn it down. If we ever get back into those bunker suites, if we ever get back into the arena, yeah, it was it was good. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I wasn't. My mind wasn't blown. It's not an architectural marvel. It doesn't look unique among arenas. Come on, it's man. Not a you see architecture out front. The, the art, statue, balls, mirrors? I mean, it's it's not it's not it's not distinct is what I would say is an arena. It doesn't I'd have say, an arc- I, yeah. I'd say one, I, I wanted to know what the noise was gonna be like there and obviously there wasn't a lot of stuff for fans to cheer about, but I thought the noise was good and th- and that was important. And then they said they would build it with that in mind. And you can tell if they get this thing gets going again, if Steph is out there for forty one games and into the playoffs it's going to be loud, and that, if they if they didn't have that, the hell with the whole thing, right? The hell with the whole thing. But they got the sound. It's a great acoustic place, and it will be lively when and if they're. It was lively when you know Pascal's scoring thirty. It's going to be lively when Steph's scoring forty in, into the future, and whoever else they get. But I did miss Oracle a lot. Just the hallways, just the ability to run into people, just the socialness. Chase is not a social place. For the NBA community, you know now they're kind I'm of making so that. Glad back, you're this, TK. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're making that back area by the visiting locker room and down towards the Warriors facility, maybe trying to make that more of a milling around. But I, Oracle was beautiful about that. You could just see people. You would run in. Maybe you didn't run want to run in a specific person, and you would run in that person. But that's was great about it. It just was an ability to everybody kind of mingled through the same areas in the NBA community, and I missed that a ton about Oracle. There, it just there, there was something that was accidental about Oracle with that, that maybe you know wasn't noted enough. Maybe I didn't appreciate it enough. But it's not there with Chase, and and maybe it'll be there in the future. I don't know. Again, who knows who who's going to be in there and when we're we're ever going to actually cover a regular game with fans again. But I really miss that, and I know Warriors people miss that. I know the coaches miss that. They didn't run into people. They were off, you know, in their offices, and then back down the locker room, and then back in their offices again. It wasn't that kind of community thing, and I don't know if they get that back. And, and I really miss that about Oracle. 
I mean, that's even true in like the practices, right? I mean, they make you not want to be there. And this entire thing is in many ways designed to delineate the proletariat from the nobility, right? It's just like, yo, these guys are untouchable. I don't know how many times I've been talking to a player and some security guard is like, back up, and the player's got to say, yo, you're good. And it's like, man, just calm down. Yep. Like, they're humans. They can have a conversation. And I they like it as much year, as us. I wonder if that was a year one thing, you know, where maybe like over the next few years they start so. to adjust. I don't know. It just feels very not personal and not intimate it just feels like you know very transactional and i i'm, I'm people say it feels cozier i don't Steeple know Center. that even they want that i don't think the players and coaches want that i think they do like it you know what i'm saying i think that was a miscalculation that they want i mean you know some people are like that chris mullen loved that exclusivity right the players, they're sacred, and there needs to be a clear, like, red velvet rope. But I just don't know if they actually like that. I think they like being able to see people. They like being able to have people who can be seen. Like, I'm sure they thought they wanted it. But then once they got what they wanted, it's be careful what you wish for. Because it's easy to be frustrated with aspects of it. But when it's all taken away, then you realize that this is, this is part of the whole culture of the thing you've become used to for your for years and that scene that scene after games that scene before games i mean that's that's all part of the thing i'm hoping uh, it shifts over to that little like lot right outside of where the visiting yeah, locker room is loading that's up. what they, they clearly were trying to trying to do that and that's where it has to be but yeah i mean part of the problem is that yeah there's less space right they have their facility in the arena to put all that there there's going to be less chance for for hallways and meet, you know, kind of common meeting rooms, but it is it is missing. And you know, I think part of the organization wanted that built in this, but the the people we're saying didn't like it. I mean, the players would I think would like to have a greater touch with people around the. And when we're talking NBA community here, I mean, it's not fans necessarily, but it's the NBA community. We're is there Nike agents. reps? It's yeah, their, yeah, their yeah, agents are Nike reps, the family members, assorted, you know, other people. But that's kind of the NBA, you know, Ethan talks about this. That's the NBA community. That's how things get communicated. That's how relationships are built and sustained. And, you know, we're part of that too, or we like to be because it, it keeps you clued into what's going on and what people are thinking. And I felt way less connected to that this season. Again, less playoffs, you know, no playoffs, whatever. So it was going to be different. But, you know, how Marcus, how many times do you and I walk with Draymond through those hallways or with Steph or with Steve or, you know, and that's just not possible now. It's just not that's not happening now. And I, I'm going to miss that if we never get that back. There's also these side effects of like the concerts they put on. And I know, yep. like, you know, there are times they're, Yo, they're I was to so pissed off at that Slater. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're trying to, you know, the Warriors are trying to get in for like, I remember it was right before Steph was about to return. He actually did his little, you know, post practice press conference about uh, his hand and Oprah was there and it was like this massively attended Oprah concert and like just to even for them to get into their parking spot was like massive traffic and all these different like cones and there was parts of the arenas that suddenly they couldn't go to because it was like backstage the visiting locker room had been taken over by like Oprah's team and it's just like that's one example but like you know how many times this year Marcus was there a few but we would go to practice and like they're setting up for selena gomez it's like their house had basically the players and the coaches house was being taken over by just these uh just random remember remember teams. when you ate that food and they quarantined us into that little all in that little media room for like an hour yeah we so trapped i trapped in there i went in and this was one of the first practices you know i go into the our you know the media room that we're used to and like there was a bunch of it was literally my out. first one by the way this was the yeah. first time i went some of the food was laid out, and I didn't go and like have a huge meal, but I was like, there's a 95 bananas over here. I'm going to have a banana before. And they got, you know, whoever runs the security there just got furious with me. And, yeah, we ended up having to get quarantined. It was like, what, 12 of us in this tiny room? And and we waited forever. Like It was like, we're waiting. You know, you know how with the Warriors, you just never know. You, you know who did it? Hour. You know whose security team it was? The Jonas Brothers. Jonas, Jonas Brothers. <laughs> yeah, we were hot. They took over the whole thing, and we just had that little beat writer room. That was it. And we all had to sit in there, and there was nowhere else we could go. It was just, it was crazy. It was like, 
I was like, I'm never coming back to practice again. This I is mean, ridiculous. I'm sure. I'm sure the people listening. I mean, they don't know how the setup usually is, or of course, don't care about our plight. But it was very surreal because this thing where we would go to practices and there was an assumption that we wait in an area that was the setup that is the logical setup suddenly we were getting hassled and yelled at for being in their area the jonas brothers which is just strange it's just very strange it's like dude we don't want to be here we don't care about your stupid little music at all we don't even think you're good we're here to cover a basketball practice which is all also here but yeah they're going to i guess try to fix all that in the future when we have sports again, which hopefully we will. Yeah, one thing I would say to wrap up on Chase Center, I do think they're going to fix some of you know, I know I would talk to them all year, to the people in the organization. Well, we need to make that sure that's fixed for next year. Well, we need to make sure that's fixed. And they're going to get a bunch of restaurants out there. I think they're going to have a really lively sports bar. I think that whole, as Tim would know, that whole little area <laughs> around there is really going to, I think, be built up well, over we'll the see. next half yep. decade. I know, yeah, obviously, we'll yeah. with what's going on has changed a lot of stuff, but... Come, let's say, 2025, it's going to be really cool down there on a game night, particularly if the Warriors are good. It should be. It should be. And I'm do. I, I I'm the one who kept pointing out the stairs out of the locker room and, and, and saying that wasn't real good, and I'm sure the players didn't love it. But you watched Last Dance, and you saw who had those stairs at, in Chicago Stadium every single time. Your Chicago Bulls. So, you know what? Maybe you live with it. Maybe you just live. Michael Jordan could go through it through, what, five of his championships? Uh, then maybe Steph Curry and Draymond Green could go through it and use the elevator when they need to be on crutches, which is what they had to do, which I still think was absurd. But that was my thing. I'll, I'll ignore the stairs if, if the players are okay with it. Yeah, the Marcus. outside area is dope. I do like that. I think that's a good place to kick it. Good place yep. to take yep. the family. Season in review. What a great season it was. It's over. Many off days to come before they play again. Hopefully they'll be playing at some point in December. Until then, we'll talk next week. Or in, I don't know. Should we do a playoff preview? Should, I mean, should we care about what's coming in Orlando? Or are we going to ignore that? Yeah, we can do a little bit like Warriors focus. Like, what do the Warriors care about in these playoffs? We can do that. Yeah. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>